This is the On the Touchline podcast. We're your hosts, Jason Broadwater and Aaron Rogers. Welcome to the show. Well, welcome back to the On the Touchline podcast. And in this episode, Aaron and I talked to Kai Edwards. And if that name might sound familiar to you, Kai is the new head women's soccer coach at Southern Utah University. And Aaron, you've known Kai uh, for a little while, professionally uh, and personally, and uh, glad to have him on the show. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm looking forward to just diving into his his coaching history and, and the path and the journey that he's been on because, you know, we, we've all had our ups and downs as coaches and and been in different places and he's he's got a good good history and I'm interested to hear what he's learned along the way and what what uh, things he can pass along to uh, to other coaches. Well and I know that uh, Kai has such an infectious uh, personality and is just a, a fun person to uh, to talk to in his love of the game um, just from hearing him on other podcasts and how you've described Marin is that, you know, it's just, like you said, it's infectious and that, uh, fills a room with personality in a very good way. So, uh, excited for this chat. Um, before we get to Kai, um, you can check us out on all major podcasting platforms. So we thank, uh, everybody that has left us a review and a rating for the show. If you listen on Apple podcast, it really means a lot to us when you, Go there, leave a five-star rating and a brief review about the show. That helps more and more people and more soccer coaches find out about the On the Touchline podcast. And Aaron, um, before we get to Kai, if people want to connect with you on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, what's your handle? Ohio Soccer Coach on both platforms. And you can find me at Soccer Coach JB, uh, both on Twitter and Instagram as well. Excited to present Kai Edwards, the head women's soccer coach at Southern Utah University. Kai Edwards, thank you for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And if listeners have heard that name in the the Twitter uh, soccer world or soccer Twitter, um, Kai, give everybody a little bit of your backstory, uh, and I find it incredibly fascinating. You, you've been a few places, and to get to this point in your career um, really, I think, is a, a testament to, you know, your willingness to to keep driving and keep pushing, but the, um, you know, seeing the the light at the end of the tunnel, even though there are probably times throughout your career where, you know, we've all said, and I know I've said, um, gosh, like, is is this really what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and it could be easy to throw the towel in. So, uh, yeah, tell everybody a little bit about your story, and um, you know, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, so, once again, thanks for having me on. Um, I was uh, born in Los Angeles, San Pedro on on the beach, and grew up playing multiple sports. Uh, my main sport growing up, actually, is uh, Taekwondo. Uh, I started when I was four, retired when I was 27, 28. I uh, was on the national team for four years in Taekwondo um, and was an alternate for uh, Sydney Olympics. So um, that was actually what I did the most by far. And then basketball, probably second, just growing up in the LA hoop culture. Um, I was a very average soccer player growing up. Uh, 
I didn't play club till ninth grade, which, you know, for people who live in small areas, that's one thing I grew up in LA. So it's, <laughs> it wasn't from lack of opportunity. It was, I just wasn't any good. Um, so in ninth grade, I went from five, one, 160 to 510, 140 in about 10 months. And Fram Soccer Club, uh, which is one of the original clubs here, who, you know, Kobe Jones, Wanalda, Shannon Box, Fowdy, a lot of people have played for Fram. Um, Kane Collin played for them for a couple of years, played for Nomad for Derek Armstrong uh, for a couple seasons, um, and then went to San Francisco State uh, and played for two years. Uh, my first year out of high school, though, I went to a community college because I was younger. So I graduated at 17 um, and didn't know where I wanted to go. And I actually started coaching in 12th grade. Um, I was, you know, back, I was born in 80. So back in 98, if practice got canceled, um, you would have to go home and listen to your voicemail. Well, I went to a high school 20 minutes away and um, my practice was out there, so I never went home, and I went to practice, and my team wasn't there, and practice had been canceled, and I looked over, and there was a U18 girls team training, and I jumped into the session, um, and Shannon, or not Shannon, um, Shelly uh, Marterson, who still coaches at Beach FC now, who had started a club, South Bay Force, um, asked me in the next day, hey, you want to come back, and then it was, hey, we're going to the North Huntington Beach tournament. Uh, the U10s and the U18s are playing. Just sit next to me. So I went and worked with her for a bit. And then, you know, the 10s and 18s were in the finals at the same time. So I ended up going with the 18s and we won it. And it was fun. And the 10s had Jackie Simon, who played at UCLA and then later played at, at Santa Barbara. Um, her little sister, Shannon Simon, who just graduated from University of Washington. So it, it was a good group. Um, and then I also ended up helping a, another team I was there, Pals Verde Soccer Club, um, probably the most talented team I'll ever coach. Um, they were U-12s, and their head coach left, and I got bumped up to head coach as an 18-year-old at U-12s, and we made a run with that group. And uh, now I look back, the center mids on that team were Kristen Press, and Whitney Ingen, who are both World Cup players. So uh, I always tell people, if you want to get started in coaching, coach two <laughs> future World Cup players, it won't hurt your career. Um, but then I went on to San Francisco State, coached while I was in college, uh, transferred, didn't enjoy San Francisco State, went to Sonoma State, won a national championship there, D2 national championship, and was taken under the wing by the Zimmer brothers, who are big coaching education uh, people with U.S. club and Sac Republic and at Sonoma State with Marcus still. Uh, after that, went to Western Washington as a volunteer and played semi-pro up in Canada. Um, and then I, you know, bounced around a bit. And, you know, from starting college to my first D1 job uh, was five years, was a head coach at St. Mary's College. Um, when St. Mary's and the WCC was the top five conference in the country at the time, um, Julie Johnson, uh, Ashley Hatch from BYU, Lynn Williams from Pepperdine, Portland had five All-Americans at the time. So it was a you know baptism by fire at the age of 28. Um, I made some awful mistakes and I did some good things. And after six years, I had elevated the profile of the program, but it was time for someone new. Um, so my contract wasn't renewed. And then, you know, it, it's like you said, you're on that moment of, okay, maybe this isn't for me, but 
to be honest, it was my wife who was like, this is all you know, this is who you are. And, you know, credit to her, we ended up moving to Arizona. Um, and this is when I was in the search for knowledge, right? I was, I was coming back from being a head coach. Um, now it was go search knowledge so you're ready for your next opportunity. So I went and volunteered as a director of operations for Arizona State with Kevin Boyd, um, you know, at the time winning as coach in the Pac-12 at two schools, Cal and Arizona State. I was the director of ECNL at Sereno at the time. So all I was doing was coaching and learning. It was phenomenal. And at the time at Arizona State, we had uh, Blair, who's now at Iowa, on staff, who's coming back from being a head coach in New Mexico State. Um, Scott, who was an All-American in Virginia. Uh, Kelly Cagle, who used to be the Virginia Tech head coach, was one of our consultants. I mean, it was an unbelievable group to be around. Um, and out of that, I was able to get the University of Michigan job with Greg Ryan, our national, former national team coach. You know, unbelievable experience. Um, and, you know, part of coaching, uh, you know, my wife moves with me, we go to Michigan, and then Greg gets fired, uh, you know, and we're in a bit of a scramble. Um, but, you know, it was stick to it, keep learning, keep coaching. At some point, it'll come back to us. And I stayed in the area, volunteered again at Oakland University with Wampa. Uh, they treated me like a paid assistant. I went on everything, helped everything, ran trainings. It was great. Uh, and then I was also the Development Academy Director uh, for Nationals in, in Michigan, and they treated me unbelievable. Uh, it was hard to leave those guys when I left, but we got pregnant, and wife wanted to have the kid near family, and most of her family's in NorCal, so job opened up at, um, at Cal, because um, Aaron's old boss uh, had left to take, a, <laughs> to take a paid gig at St. Mary's, so I went and actually volunteered at Cal, but once again, I was in charge of the midfield I did the meetings, video, did scouting reports, ran trainings, gave halftime speeches. I mean, um, I, I think um, who is it? Colin Coward says it best, don't, don't chase money, chase leadership, right? Mm -hmm. And being around, you know, someone like Neil is like, yeah, who cares what you get paid? Like coach and work and whatever. So I was there and, you know, he's like, come here, do well, see what happens. And, you know, we didn't make the tournament the year before we were five and 13. And then last year, I think we were 12, seven and two knocked off UCLA at U UCLA, USC, Santa Clara had, had a good run, made the tournament. And, you know, I moved into me and my wife moved to our apartment in July of 2019 and moved out in January of 2020. So, um, you know, the journey is long, but now I have a long-term contract. We're in a house. We haven't been in a house ever. Uh, we've always been in condos and small apartments. So, and we have a two-month-old baby. So, the journey was worth it. Congratulations uh, on becoming a dad and welcoming uh, a new addition to your family. Um, Thank you. Aaron and I are both parents, and that, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the just riff on this for a sec. The the challenge of being a dad, but also being a soccer coach. And to be a good husband and to, you know, keep all your plates spinning, so to speak. Uh, it's really, really tough. And last night, my wife and I went on a date for the first time. And I can't tell you how long. When, wait, when do we get to do that? <laughs> this was something very intentionally, um, you know, scheduled weeks in advance, actually. And it happened to just coincide with Valentine's Day. But um you know, for uh, for three little ones that we have that uh, it's tough, man. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate your story and the, 
the perseverance, uh, I guess that would be the word that I would use to keep going despite some of the obstacles and, um, you know, kind of rerouting of the path and rerouting of the GPS, you know, at different times in, in your career. Um, I wonder about, uh, you know, you, you mentioned a quote and I wrote it down and, um, you know, don't chase money, chase leadership. And what does that mean to you? Um, because I, I find that uh, it's a fantastic quote. I find it incredibly fascinating. Yeah, so when when my contract wasn't renewed at St. Mary's, I had a couple opportunities right off the bat. Um, and and to be honest, a lot of awesome ones. And Kevin Boyd, who I'd always been around when he was at Cal and I was at Sonoma and Santa Barbara, I was like, that's just someone you want to go work for and, and be around and just get something from him um, and give what you can. And, I mean, I learned player management, staff management, uh, scheduling, just a million things. And, you know, it's one of those, you, I went there, I, Craig Ryan was, I mean, it was a UEFA A license course working with him at all times. You know, he's, he's a taskmaster, but he's actually, you know, he's a, he's a taskmaster because he enjoys football. That's, that's what he enjoys. So like mm -hmm. I learned more about video and how to edit and how to get it to players than ever before. And, you know, and then ending with Nat, Neil at Cal and working with Jerry Smith sometimes, like, those resources when I had those tough times, like when Greg Ryan got, got let go at Michigan, I called Jerry Smith and Neil McGuire and they're like, it happens. Let's try to get you. Let's see what we can get you. You know, and they called a bunch of friends and called a bunch of places. And, you know, G Greary offered me a volunteer job that next day at Texas A&M, which was, you know, it's, it's that type of thing, but it starts with who do you surround yourself with? And I look at myself now, you know, okay, we're at a mid-major, who cares? Who is your boss? And my direct boss is Sonia, who was the co-head coach of tennis at Tennessee for 19 years and was a four-time All-American at Kentucky as a tennis player. So she's an admin, but she thinks like a coach. You know, and a couple things that have already come up. She's like, "Well, wh why not do it that way?" And I was like, "Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I agree." <laughs> you know, but mm -hmm. I'm so used to hearing a peer admin answer, and and that was part of it. The women's basketball coach here, Tracy, uh, was an assistant at St. Mary's when I was at St. Mary's, so we knew each other. She she helped me get the, get the get my foot in the door, and she's like, "Okay, like like every mid major, there's something you know." you're not going to like, or, you know, part-time people, Sonia is who you want to rely on. And, and literally I had to call her yesterday about something quick interaction, you know, so chasing leadership, you know, and, and I think that's like any relationship, chase relationships. I have an unbelievable wife that, you know, allowed us to move to chase my dream. And, and in the end, we finally got to the point where, you know, we had to leave California, but we have a house that's bigger than we need. And we have neighbors and room and uh, we're far enough away from campus, but we're only 1.2 miles away. So we can always go. And I came home and fed the baby last Wednesday at lunch and went back. like, that's the stuff in California. I'd have to time my way through traffic. And <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so I think the leadership and relationships you chase and it pays dividends, you know, in the end, there's a financial component to being a professional coach. So in the end, Chasing that leadership, being with Wampai and Greg and Kevin Boyd and Neil, I mean, it, it paid dividends in the end. I, you know, Kaya, obviously, I've I've followed you. You followed our careers, and and you've got such a 
a wonderful personality and a disposition and you you always make everybody feel great around you and you have such oh, a thanks, yeah well you have such a, a a positive outlook and you know i have a bunch of questions and a bunch of things that i want to touch on but i mean this this whole chasing leadership thing that that you caught i i mean i'm like jason i wrote that down and i'm like wow that's that's money right there that that's so valuable and you're seeing it now <clears throat> as a professional as a husband as a dad and you're seeing the very valuable things in life and you you've touched on so many things and jason you're going to start seeing this now that you're coaching in college how important that le that administrative leadership is mm -hmm. and how <clears throat> how empathetic can they be to you and, and your cause? Because we're ultimately there, and this is a college aspect, obviously, but we're ultimately there all administrators, coaches for the student athletes. We're not there for me or you, you know, we're there for the student athletes. So, so how do we create that? And so I think that's, that's one component of chasing that leadership. And I, and I wrote this down too, chasing the leadership, but you're also chasing your passion and you're also chasing your life. And how do those things inter, interconnect so that you can do them all well? Yeah. And, and, and you've been at, you know, head coach of, gosh, I don't want to call the WCC a mid-major in women's soccer yeah. because, <laughs> because it's, it's like, it's traditionally a, not a power five, but in women's soccer, it's so amazing. And, you know, and you've been at mid, you've been at power five schools and you've been at mid-majors, you know, talk about that like you're and you did talk about it but did kind of like delve deeper into it about that chasing that passion and that life and that and that balance that that you have potentially hopefully have found yeah I mean I even think about this past season um you know I did something that probably is not sustainable over time from July to you know I got this job I was coaching at Cal full-time uh, I was coaching two teams at Walnut Creek Surf. Uh, I was coaching a boys high school team that started in November, just made the playoffs after not making it last year. Um, I was running a striker goalkeeper clinic with my buddy Matt Bernard in Sacramento, uh, an hour and 45 minutes away that I drove to every Friday. And so it was one of those things with like, oh, college, we don't have a game on Sunday. Yeah, you got to go to Fresno to coach your club team, you know, but it was like, you had to do it where now I have one team, even though it's a college team, but I'll still take one team over 12 calendars. But I look back at when I, when, when I like got let go at St. Mary's, right. And it's my responsibility that I didn't get enough wins and have a good enough student athlete experience. I went out and I talked to one of our admins on campus, Carrie Montero, who was an ex basketball player, but an admin at St. Mary's. And I was like, what did I do wrong? What do I need? And to be honest, the AD, who's now the AD at Sacramento State, he also helped me a lot. He was actually a reference on two of my job interviews I had a couple of years ago. And he helped me get the job at one of them. Um, but I, I started looking at gaps, right? And I'm not going to delve too much into this, but as a minority, sometimes we have to work harder, right? I, I look, we we have three or four BCS head coaches and I think 10 or 11 total, right? And to our best knowledge, I've asked a couple other people, only three black coaches in women's soccer have ever coached two division one teams. Kadani, by choice. <laughs> yeah. Me, not by choice. And Austin Daniels, uh, 
30 years ago at Colorado College and stuff like that. So it's not like it's an opportunity that comes every day. You know, when we lose our job, sometimes we don't get it again, right? And it's just the way it is. So there was a daunting task when I lost my job of seeing no, and at the time, Kadani wasn't a head coach. So it had only been done once 30 years before that a black coach had coached two Division One soccer teams. So I was like, what gaps am I missing? Okay, I'm missing the BCS gap. Kevin Boyd, can I come work with you? He's like, I can't pay you. I'm like, pay me with experience. Done. Then it was, oh, you have to recruit at a BCS. Got the Michigan job. Okay, then it was take a step back. Okay, you're the DA director. Um, then it was work at Cal, uh, NCAA tournament team. Then I'm looking, I'm like, okay, uh, I see you have to have a master's. So now I'm in my master's program at Ohio University, graduate this May. Uh, I got my A license when I was 23. So that was already filled. I've gone to Europe. I was like, oh, you don't have this experience? I went to Europe. So I got on an NSCA uh, committee. So I kept trying to fill gaps so there was no excuse. Mm -hmm. So every time I got turned down for a job, I I would call them back. Be like, oh, what was I missing? And they're like, "Uh, you need BCX experience. Okay, got to go get it. Oh, you have a master's. All right, I'll go get that. You know, and... I put myself on task force and and I I would meet with one of my admins once a week just to get their insight. So it was one of those plights of I'm, I'm going to take away every reason you have (laughs) to say no. And it took work to do it, but it was that constant chasing of you say no because of BCS. All right, I'll go get a BCS job. Well, we can't pay it. doesn't matter. It's going to pay off later, right? And it takes a wife that has a remote job that can, can work from home, um, but is also supportive of, you know, if this is what you want to do, let's go. So that, that was always my goal is, is don't give people a reason, but don't complain about it. If someone says, well, because you don't know, like a, a school in Florida that I was the final two and didn't get the job, they're like, we don't, you don't know uh, the people in Florida, and I was like, all right. And I did a camp there three months later, mm-hmm. just in case I ever looked for another job in Florida. They know me. I put Becky Burley on my resume list. I, I would talk to Florida State, uh, you know, where it was like, there is no excuses. Um, and I think sometimes coaches now are like, well, it's because I only do this. And, and because I'm a high school coach. And yeah, like, dude, I was 30 something volunteering in college after being a head coach. So like you can do it if it it goes to long-term development. If you see the light at the end of the tunnel, it keeps you motivated. You know, I had a Saturday where I had to, or Friday, I had to coach Cal in the morning, drive to Sacramento two hours later, do a training with like a 10, 10 and 11 and 12 year olds, drive back home, wake up 8 a.m. in the morning, coach two club teams, go to a Cal practice and then get to an away game on Sunday with Cal, you know, and it was like, you know what, if this is what we have to do, we have to do. That, that, that's such a great lesson to any coach, aspiring coach, experienced coach, because you just said it. I mean, here you are as a a mid thirties volunteer assistant, but you just said, fill the gaps fill the gaps, be willing. If this is what you're passionate about and this is what you want to do, fill the gaps so that you create your own destiny. And, you know, congratulations to you and credit to you for, for understanding that, having that social intelligence to realize 
this is what I got to do because I love it. This is my passion. And, and I want to, I want to continue to grow in this world. And, um, great lesson for anybody, anybody listening from a new coach to a a well-experienced coach for sure. I completely echo what Aaron just said. Um, and I think Kai, it takes a incredibly self-aware coach and incredibly self-aware person to even notice or have that level of, um, you know, emotional intelligence to be able to hit the pause button and go, you know what? Okay. They might have a a valid reason or an invalid reason for why they said that I wasn't quite, you know, ready for this position at the time, but you know what, I'm going to prove them wrong. And I, I find that, you know, motivating as a, as a peer, um, just because it's like, yeah, like, let's do this. You know what I mean? And nothing's going to stop me. And, um, you know, I'm in a situation now where, I mean, I've had countless people tell me like, Oh, you can't recruit and you can't do this. You're at a small, you know, D three school or whatever. No, I'm going to prove you wrong. (laughs) You know, and I, I guess for me, it's that competitor, you know, inside going, you know what, there's always this athlete that comes out from time to time. And it's, you know, not for my own gratification. It's for my, my team. It's for my players. You know, I want to build a, build a great program. So I wonder the Tylus all together in terms of our players and their development, how do you impart some of those life lessons that you've had into them? Um, you know, as takeaways where they're coming back to you, you know, throughout your career and saying, you know, coach Kai, um, you know, wow, <laughs> like this was a really transformative experience. Yeah. Um, Michael's always, you know, try not to beat them over the head with it, but disseminate information. And I look at uh, one of my ex players, Carolyn Shevlin. Uh, she was a twin sister, went to uh, Long Beach State first, and then her twin, Grace, went to San Diego State, and Carolyn transferred to me at St. Mary's as my first job. And she had some struggles. She was super talented. And talent was not an issue, but had some issues struggling, you know, getting to places on time and stuff like that. And it was more just like, all right, let's have a meeting. Let's chat. Why is this important? And then, to be honest, relating it back to something that's important to them. And, you know, for her, she hated practice and loved winning. You know, so relating, showing up five minutes late to class like playing a through ball to someone because she was a final ball passer, playing a through ball to someone who didn't time their run. Like it's equally as annoying, right? So, and it's just disrespectful to you as the ball player, right? And finding little things individually. And, you know, Carolyn, when she was probably 26, called me one day and was like, hey, I just got a, a raise, like, I don't know, a dollar an hour or something. I was like, sweet like whatever and she goes no no, no. It's like, I'm the only one who shows up 10 minutes early and I was like where was that in college <laughs> and, you know <laughs> but it's like hey you know as a coach some some of them get it in day one and some of them get it seven years later and you know now she has this beautiful kid that you can see she's already trying to you know instill those little things to them um, but I also outsource what I learned a lot about myself at St. Mary's you know and I think a lot of first-time coaches are like I finally get the head coach I'm going to do everything and mm-hmm. I did I didn't give anyone anything I, I ran the defense the tag I did meetings I did trainer me I did everything and Missy Strasberg who's at Air Force who runs an unbelievable leadership academy I brought her in my last three years um she has a leadership master's from the University of Washington. She's the same way. She's worked for Leslie Gallimore at Washington. She's worked for uh, 
at Clemson with Eddie and, and at UNC, Georgia State with Vanda Slegel, I think is her name, is at VCU now. Um, she's been with me, now at uh, Larry at Air Force, and she's been on sort of that same journey also. And you kind of look at it, and I was like, okay. She's like, Kai, do you have to trust people? Educate them and trust them. And I was like, okay. And then she's like, and then ask people, well, do what you ask your players to do. When they need help, you tell them just ask. So, for example, the Southern Utah girls, you know, my first week here, you know, we did a little meeting, you know, a little talking, servant leadership, everything. But then the next weekend, I brought in Heather Sieber, who played for me at St. Mary's, little center midfielder, five foot one, ended up playing pro in Austria a couple of years ago. And she gave this great speech about being resilient and battling back and teamwork and stuff like that. And uh, we brought in uh, Mario, my new assistant, brought in a Navy captain to give a Skype conversation. And we have Megan Crossan, who played at Santa Clara, Torrey, ACL, played pro and just re-signed for Houston Dash. She's coming in next week to talk. So I ended up realizing, you know, you look at the old Billy Blank's um, workout videos and his whole thing was muscle confusion, right? Well, the same thing. If I'm giving the same lecture every Wednesday, it's boredom. So I started, okay, well, how do I muscle confuse their mind also? And it's, to be honest, not everything has to make complete sense and everything doesn't have to be relation because when we try to think everything needs to make sense, we're thinking doesn't make sense to ourselves. And when you have 20 people in the room, it might not make sense to me or 10 other people, but it might hit home for someone else. So I stopped thinking like, oh, this this doesn't, you know, the Navy SEAL, who, what the, it's not going to relate to anything. Well, 10 kids came in afterwards like, oh my God, this has inspired me to be better at home. And you're like, oh, Okay, like, you know, so um, I think outsourcing, being being brave enough to outsource your information, but also have the resources to outsource and ask for advice. I think, I think, you're, I think Jurgen Klopp has said this recently, just kind of what you're talking about is surrounding yourself with people smarter than you that can do those. And that's what I, listen, I, man, if I can get someone smarter than me to go help me out, that's, that's my goal. I think that's, uh, that's important to, to recognize that you can't effectively do everything by yourself because then a, you burn out and B, as you said, the players just are, they kind of will tune out because they're hearing that same repetitive story over and over and over. Um, so as you've gone in there to Southern Utah, what, what has been the message to try to rejuvenate a group of people? Enjoy your football. They didn't enjoy football. They lost the game. They won one game last year. They won two the year before. So I understand why they didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And then it was accomplished things together. And they kept thinking, okay, we have to win the game in October. We, I'm like, all right, let's uh, run to the – and we did this. I was like, let's run to this line in eight seconds. Go. Okay, we've accomplished something together, right? And then there's this – like, they hadn't done anything, right? Like, they just – like, we're doing a scavenger hunt in the next week. Like, they just hadn't completed anything together. So there was no trust in each other to, mm -hmm. to do anything when the hard part came. So it was that. But then also walking in and saying – you know, I'm not afraid to say we're our goal is to make the Big Sky Tournament. We're the only team not to make the Big Sky Tournament in the conference uh, in the last eight years. Um, it's a 16 tournament, 10 teams in. 
our goal is to make the Big Sky Tournament. And, it, and I told him about Oakland University the year I was there. We started off 0-10. And, and Wampa, the most positive human being in the world, was like, girls, let's just keep working. Let's, and then kept simplifying and kept, okay, let's do these little things. And, and, you know, we got to the end of the conference at one and something, and we had to win our last two games to make the conference tournament. We won our first one, and then we had to go to IUPUI, and we knocked them off on the road. And the best part was before we went, um, Wampa was like, we're going to IUPUI. We win, we're in the Horizon Tournament. We lose, we're out. Pack your bags for the next week. And he made the girls pack their bags for the next week. We beat IUPUI late, won the game, got the bus, moved over to Northern Kentucky, waited four days for the conference tournament. Girls were packed, and he's like, I hope you brought enough gear. And we went to Northern Kentucky, smashed us two weeks before in regular season, gave up a goal in the first four minutes, and we probably scored like eight goals all year, and came back late, scored two, and drove straight to Milwaukee and had to play Wisconsin-Milwaukee in the semis and lost to them in PKs, the dominant force in the conference. But it was one of those, like, he, he just re-simplified and then gave them attainable goals that, that he believed they can do but weren't ludicrous. Like, I walked in and told the girls, there's a 99% chance we are not winning the league this year. But we can get to the conference tournament. <laughs> yeah. and And this is how. And I told them, I was like, how far were you away last year? They're like, oh, we were 10th out of 10. I was like, no, no, how far were you? They're like, oh, we were 10th place. I was like, well, you were six points out. And they're like, yeah. I was like, oh, remember that Portland State game? I rewatched it. You lost 3-2. Both keepers got hurt. You had to put a field player in, right? So you lost 3-2. Let's say no one gets hurt. You watch a video a little more. You come in a little bit more, fit in the summer. Something goes right. Could you win that game 2-1 on the road? And they're like, yes. I'm like, well, they finished six. So that would have been minus three points for them, three points for you. You would have won the tiebreaker. You were in the conference tournament. And they looked like they saw a ghost. Like, no, we were out. I'm like, no, no, you beat Portland State, you're in. It just looks like six points, but <laughs> when yeah. you play each other. so But it was it was starting to give them stuff where it was like, oh, yeah, we could have come in a little more fit. We could have done this. And we could have made up a six-point gap in one game. Forget the rest. Um and like Sonia or SWA was like, Kai, you're just walking in with someone that believes them. And I didn't play a lot of big sky teams when I was at St. Mary's or anywhere else, but I know them. And I know all the coaches in the conference and I know the challenges of weather and climates and, and altitudes. So what I told them, I, I said, the reason why I took this job, because I, I had two job offers. I said, the reason why I took this job is I felt the things that, that, hindered you guys from winning I had the solution for and if your admins wanted you to beat North Carolina I wouldn't have taken the job because I don't have that solution Mm -hmm. what you guys were lacking were a little bit in recruiting and understanding Salt Lake and Vegas which I know very well and the coaches know me very well and just galvanized ideas like what do we want to do attacking wise what do we want to do defensively what do we want to do on set pieces and let's watch film and do it and I was like those couple things put you in a position to make the tournament. And that was big for me taking the job because you don't want to take a job where the, what the admins and the school sets out, you, you do not have the solutions. Cause some schools, one school I interviewed for, and I was a finalist was like, we want you to be top 25. We're going to give you 11 scholarships out of 14, one full-time assistant 
at a minimal budget, but we do expect you to be top 25. And I was like, I, I mean, I could take this job, but then I would not be chasing leadership. I'd be chasing money yeah. and I'd be fired quickly because <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I think it's important to, to give the players an obtainable goal, but not, you know, I could have walked in and be like, we're going to win the league and we're going to do this. And that would have worn off in a week, you know, but I think, you know, when they're doing fitness and they're playing 4v1, like I'll freeze and be like, for us to be NAU in October, you have to get your hips facing forward. And just that constant little tangible reminders um, where it's not just beating their head over, you know, beating them and be like, hey, this is it. No, no, hey, hey, if we can get our hips around this ball and get it in inbounds, we, we can beat Northern Colorado 2-1 on the road next year. And you make the tournament and you've changed the trajectory of your whole life, right? But those little things. Well, that that that's spoken like a, a... – a man with experience, a coach with experience, because, you know, you think about, you think back maybe to St. Mary's days. You oh, know, I you're... walked in and said we were going to beat Julie Johnson. Yeah, and yeah. Sophie Werther, and she put three on us in eight <laughs> minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's it. And, you know, you you have said two things that that I find obviously very important is, A, number one, do you find the joy in going to work every day, you as an individual? Because if you can do that, then you can help your players find the joy in their process every day. Because if they don't find the joy, it doesn't matter about no. anything else because that's what intrinsically will motivate them. And then those small processes, and you hit it just a minute ago, when you go to St. Mary's, and, and Jason obviously knows my story a lot about this as it regards to this and Kai, maybe we've talked about this too, but in the past, but when you were at St. Mary's, you're like, we're going to win. We're going to beat Santa Clara, blah, blah, blah. And you just forget about, and you're focused solely on that and not, as you said, the small processes that it takes to then achieve those things. You're basically, you're basically trying to skip steps yeah. and focusing on something that you, you're not ready. You're, you're, you're not ready to run yet. You still got to learn how to crawl. Yeah. And, and you're trying to hit a home run. And like my first year, you know, I had a daunting schedule. First year ever coaching, you know, first game we're at Pacific, we win one zero. Well, the second game we were at, or, uh, oh, we were at Denver, who was top 25, had three top 100 goal scorers, and we lose 2-1. And I'm like, okay, like, I can do this. Like, and then we have Colorado's in the Big 12 at the time with Nikki Marshall. They're eighth in the country. And they put three goals on us in eight minutes. And we lost 8-1. And I was humbled quickly. Mm -hmm. I was like – and then I was reminded the college season doesn't care because that was a Sunday. And we had Texas, who was 12th in the country on Friday, coming up. And I was like, oh, my God, like, how are we going to do this? And I remember even back then – and I made this mistake later, but I remember back then I was like, okay, pass to your color. Like, let's go back to that. And we went in versus Texas, you know, 12th in the country. I was like, your goal is to pass it to your color. And my girl's like, well, what else? I'm like, what else matters? You have three options, your color, our goalkeeper, or the back of the net. And they're like, and I go 2v1, 3v, none of that matters. Just kick it to your color. Because when they have it, they're much better. So we ended up beating them 2-1, outshooting them. And then two days later, had number eight, Texas A&M. And lost to them 2-1 on a PK. 
and then had Chris Impress's Stanford team. But it was like murderers row after, you know, and then Julie Johnson and Ashley Hatch came in the conference the next year. But Portland was number two in the country. And, like, you just started to – it humbled you real quick that you can't treat it like a club game. Where you're like, well, if I walk in and I manipulate this, this, mm-hmm. we'll find a way to win. And you're like, the, Jerry Smith's good because he set 25 years of groundwork before he got there. Jen Rockwood at BYU is good because she's 30 years of groundwork. You can't go in there and be like, oh, in the game, I'll make one halftime adjustment and we'll find a way to win, right? And if you do, like a Texas, you get lucky. But I think – it, it reminded me later, and it was Kevin Boyd, my first year there. We were top 25 in our country with Callie Farquharson. And he was like, oh, no, Blair came up with uh, 1-0. and 1-0 is all that matters. Like, and what are we going to do for that day? And and I was like, well, but how do we do this? You know, and I'm, you know, thinking all these grand ideas. And I'm like, okay. And then I went to Greg Ryan at Michigan. And the biggest life lesson of soccer I ever got was from Greg Ryan was he was, I mean, we had the talent, so he could do more than some others, but you know, he thinks like a national team coach. So I remember coming up to him once and saying, Hey, uh, like I was thinking, what if we put, you know, this player here and let's start him in this position. And he was like, yeah, we did that with Mia Hamwon versus Japan. And I was like, uh, I did that in my like U14 game two years ago, right? But his perspectives were so crazy. But we go to Minnesota and, you know, we had some injuries or whatever. And we put out this lineup, Minnesota's top 25. We score with like 30 seconds late to tie him 2-2 on the road. Great, great result. Then we go to number 10, Wisconsin on the road, you know, two days later. He, he doesn't start four kids that started versus Minnesota. And we play Thursday, Sunday. So it's enough time. And, and I remember in the meeting, He's like, yeah, we're going to start this kid, this kid. I was like, well, this kid just had an unbelievable game versus the all-conference kid in Minnesota. And he goes, what does that have to do with today? And I was like, but they're in form and they're playing well. And he's like, she's not a good good matchup for, I think her name's Danny. She just graduated the Canadian. I was like, yeah, but she just tore it up versus Minnesota. He goes, Kai, what does that have anything to do with the matchup today? And I like – I'll never forget it. And that was like three, four years ago. And now I don't coach completely like that because he coaches it like Japan and Holland and Germany have nothing to do with each other. But to think in that way a little bit where it's like, no, no. And then what's next? And how are you prepared for what's next? And what is your process to get, like your process to get ready for your Friday game could be completely different than your Sunday game. But there's a process. And the outcome is for him, it was always win. The process had to be set up to win. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you had to analyze what to do differently. Like, oh, you're at Penn State. Well, that's different than home versus Toledo. And he treated them so differently. But his outcome in his head was always the same. But his process and the message on how he got the process to the players was different. But it was so detailed that they followed the script. And then they could believe in it. Excellent. There's a uh, a saying in baseball, uh, Kai, it re- reminds me of that when you're uh, mentioning that, that, um, you know, momentum is only as good as the next day starting pitcher. And, uh, you know, uh, growing up in a family where I had some siblings and my dad were big baseball people that would hear that from time to time. And I find that really interesting in terms of how, you know, a, a coach manages their lineup. 
Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I'm probably somewhere in the middle um, because, you know, I, I would think the way that you were thinking that, hey, this player's, you know, in form right now. Um, you know, let's kind of ride it until we can anymore. And, you know, we'll, we'll swap out whoever we have to swap out, you know, when that time comes. Um, so this actually has nothing to do with my question. I just thought that was an interesting point. <laughs> but uh, so I, I guess my question, what makes a good coach? I, I think the answer lies in the end product of hmm. what do they actually get out of the team or the player? Right. And I think it's more the player at youth, the team within the player. I think it's a little opposite. Right. I think in youth, it's a player within the team. I think in college and pro, it's the team within the player. Right. So the team first and the player second, because, you know, that's the ultimate job is to win as a team, but help develop the player as part of it. Um, I think it's the end product. I, I think a good coach. The process means very little. I actually think the outcome means more. So Coach A and Coach B, one could run rondos every single day. One could just scrimmage every day. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Is the end product what the level of the environment? So in college, did you win? Are your players happy? And youth sports, depending on your level. So I was at Nationals in the DA. Did we produce national team players? And we did. We produced five while I was there. You know, they produced themselves, but we were part of five of them. Uh, You know, we got to the quarterfinals. doesn't matter how we got there. Every player returned but one. Uh, We played at a national team level. Players got recruited. And players and parents were happy. That group right now is in, in Spain right now on a trip. The 0203s are in Spain right now on a trip because they enjoy their experience so much. So I, like when I always get in these Twitter beasts with people when they're like, oh, this, there's no way this exercise on Twitter is applicable. It's not part of the game. Who cares? <laughs> like I've seen people run absolute ideal perfect sessions and their team can't play at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you get the Twitter warriors out here like, yeah, you know, everything has to replicate the game. And I can't believe you would do something that doesn't re- – how does this replicate the game? It was like, it doesn't matter. At U-Sports, did you watch the team play? And if you watch the team play and it replicates the game at a high level, then it does not matter. You know, at the college, same thing. Their schools, and I won't name them, we all know that play some of the ugliest soccer in the world. And they're, But what is the goal of their school? To win. And they're top seeds in the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. you know? And then there's teams that are like, oh, you know, and that was me at St. Mary's. Oh, we played so beautiful. I got fired. <laughs> so who cares? You know? So I think it's the end product relative to what environment you're in. So youth sports is different than college, right? College, it's win games and players be happy. That's, that's it, right? So how you get there, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and good coaches, Find out, and this is what I learned a lot, um, a lot from Neil, actually. So I used to be a huge task master. Like, I'm, you know, typical Dutch. Let's let's drill passing pattern. Let's drill, like, the ball goes from the 7 to the 10. And that's how I was at St. Mary's because I felt that was the only way my team could compete. 
and and was to play in a style that we all knew we were doing to be able to play against UCLA and all these guys. Well, then I started to look like, oh, well, what do they actually need? You know, and like my team right now needs to train five days a week. We need to improve. But and I'd like to go five days in the most intense environment possible. And in three years, they probably can't. They can't right now, but they still need to be together for five days. So Tuesday, because I know they're going to be tired and lagging because it's our 7 a.m. where everything else is in the p.m. We play music at a blaring level on Tuesday's practice. Now, I strongly dislike it, but it gets the players at 6.30 in the morning. They're waking up, singing songs, blaring the music. Do I lose something focused and tactically? Possibly. We, but I gain energy. I gain buy-in. I gain cool coach. I gain, um, hey, guys, okay, now I need you for 10 minutes to focus on this one exercise. And then I'll get something out of it, and then we'll play soccer, tennis, and whatever. But I couldn't do that six years ago. I didn't have that in me. I was like, we're, we have this, we have to get this done. Where now I'm like, once again, what's the end, end product? Win games and happy players. My team still needs to practice. Well, I have to adjust their environment to get what I need. So Tuesdays, it makes me want to film Tuesdays and put my trainings on Twitter because 90% of it is not applicable to the game. And, but it gives them a little bit of muscle confusion. They don't know. Like, we play flying changes, but I offset the goals. So they're not in line with each other. They're, they're offset. Oh, is it applicable? No, but it's different. They're coming in from an angle. They have to find the goal. Yeah, but they'll never have to do that in a game. I don't care. In the end, does my team win it or are they happy? <laughs> you know, and it's my boss's job to evaluate how my process is. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, it's 2020. It's the year of 2020, and – you have to adapt and adjust and you're right. I mean, I've done things. I'm sure Jason has done things that, that we probably wouldn't, we would have scoffed at 10 years ago as it relates to coaching. And now we're adjusting and we have to learn the language of the young people that we're coaching now. And I'm with you on the music thing. 10 years ago, I'd be like music and training. That's absolutely <laughs> no, but no now chance. there are the moments where they do, they get energized from it. And if it isn't a moment, like you say, yeah, obviously there are some training sessions that you can't because yeah, no you can't communicate <laughs> and all that stuff. But I mean, that just shows an evolution of, of a coach and of yeah. an understanding of, of people, um, of, the, of the people that we coach now. Well, and the experience of it, like I would have, you know, Greg Ryan would never do that. I go to Neil's practice and there was music on at Cal. I was like, what is going on here? And, and like he, he had it on his Bluetooth. So he pressed pause on his phone to give a coaching point and then go back to it. I was, it threw me off. But he's like, this is what this team needs this year right now. And I mean, we turned the, probably one of the biggest turnarounds in the NCAA last year, going from five wins to, to 12. And you're like, that's a coach, like, not trying to coach, trying to analyze what does the player need, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, we do disc assessments everywhere. And, you know, Greg Herring, who has done it at Cali, he's doing it for us here. Uh, we did it at, at Oakland. And, and Wampa's like, I want to play pretty football. And, you know, he's Argentinian, so he wants to play. He's football, football. And he's coming from San Diego State, where they're the dominating force in the Mount West. So, he had the best players. And we had a sports guy come in and was like, hey, uh, so your team does best with assertive uh, mentality, 
uh, not afraid to make mistakes, and I forgot what the other word, and going forward. It, it, it came out like that, and it took him, like, 10 games of losing, of, like, hey, let's just play out of this. And he's like, you know what? He just stopped one day. He's like, the personality of our players are assertive. And his coach's meeting was, I don't care what they do, just make sure it's assertive. If they clear a ball, tell them to clear it harder. Like, I don't care if it's pretty. Let's just go by their personalities. And that was our change that made us put us on the run was he was like, okay, I'm done with what I want the football to look like this year. I'll try to fix that later and recruit to it. These kids right now, they just need us to give them assertive mentality. And it was it, – it changed instantly. I think it can be, uh, you know, just – really easy and we've seen this on on twitter that um you know people are willing to die on the hill that they die on in terms of a philosophy or a style and i'm not being critical of those people because you know we all have a way that we want the game to be played at least you know in our mind but kai i really you know i i would use the word adaptable there because you know um you, you have to work with the tools that you have you can't try and make it into something that it isn't you know we all want to play pretty football but if the the ingredients for the recipe aren't there to play pretty football and the objective is to score goals or to win matches then we're going to do it however we have to and if, if, if it's grinding out a, a 2-1 result or a 1-0 result or, or whatever we'll do it um you know I, I've been having this conversation with people that I've been talking to and they've asked me you know coach well, what's our style of play and I said, it's going to be based on what our class ends up looking like and the current group that we have, because I can't, you know, I, I can't make them into something that they're not. Yeah. And so, you know, if we're great at defending, you know, if we look like Atletico Madrid in terms of defending, then we're going to counterattack like hell and try and play that way, you know, but it, it depends on what you have. And, you know, like I said, I, I just think it's easy to, you know, the, the romantic side of football, because when it looks pretty, it looks so beautiful. And that's why they call it the beautiful game. And it's enjoyable to watch and it's flowing and it's, you know, all these things we sort of see clips of and, you know, great players do and things like that. But, you know, how many of our players are doing those things, you know, and it probably not at that level. So. Well, um, and I also think yeah. it's always interesting. Um, I actually commented back to someone on Twitter today about it is the fun part is we have all this interaction. The challenge is we don't put the, the preface of what lens we're looking through. So the exercise today was like 15 versus two uh, possession or whatever. And someone's like, oh, I would never do that. Well, yeah, you coach U12s. You shouldn't. Not in a bad or good way, but right. as a pro team on the day after a game, it looks like a perfectly fine session you know and you know when youth coaches analyze college and college analyze youth it, it's hilarious because their mission is different yeah like a, a youth coach mission might be like my o2 or my yeah o203s last year played pretty nice soccer right and we lost some games early we went on a run late but lost some games and everyone was stressing out and you know one kid who's going to iowa makes the national team and center mid going to Purdue makes the national team and like everyone's committed to a, a division one or division two college mm -hmm. and we're in the middle of the pack in our DA bracket. I'm like, well, I can do that at this level, but at Oakland, I don't care what it looks like. 
score goals and win games. But I do care, and that's one of the challenges when you coach in different environments. But when people analyze in different environments, I always think it's hilarious because the lens they look through, they look through their own, which is okay, but they don't say that out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, 90% of the videos that are posted are Atletico, you know, Barca or someone at some level that none of us ever even coach at. And they're like, oh, you know, I would never do 99 plus two in a tight space. And you're like, nor should you. Like, <laughs> but could you adapt that to 44 plus two with the same type of intensity, duration, whatever? But uh, I, it's, but, my biggest beef, and I, I have one Twitter beef, and I've called a couple people out on this, you know, when they'll just hammer people for posting videos, which is the bravest thing to do in yeah. social media is post video of your own mm-hmm. team, you know, and then they get hammered like, oh, but, you know, like I got hammered. I posted a highlight video of my club team, four goals versus CDA, three goals were beautiful. One goal was up a corner. And one guy was like, I mean, I'd like you to play short. Like, I'm like, yeah, the kid who buried the goal going to Butler is a, a beast. Why wouldn't I serve one? But he had, like, this whole thing. Well, I go out to his game and watch him play, and he served me everything long. And he's like, well, I don't have those type of players. So I'm like, shut up. Like, <laughs> like if, you do, if you wanted to trade it, you want to, you could. But, uh, you know, I'm at a smaller club, so uh, I, I can't do that. But, you know, you guys should be able to. Like, that stuff kills me. <laughs> We're, uh, my wife tells me this all the time, Kai, we're a pretty amazing bunch uh, is, you know, football coaches or soccer coaches in terms of, um, you know, and, and I think for us, right, the three of us, that like we've gotten to a level where like we can just be comfortable being who we are. You know what I mean? We're not trying to be something that we're not anymore. We're not, uh, you know, on this sort of like, you know, trying to make people happy and please everybody and, and that sort of thing. That that comes with time and experience, you know, and well, just being com- comfortable in who we are, I think. Well, do you remember the movie Major League? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, I it is my reminder all the time now. Remember when she walks into the locker room and he's naked and he's like, and she goes, uh, are you going to cover up? And he goes, I'm too old to jump behind something and I just don't care. <laughs> like, I get that feeling sometimes where I'm like, yeah, I'm just not going to stress about that anymore. <laughs> That's my favorite scene where it's, I, I'm too old to care to jump behind something like I'm 20. <laughs> so we like to ask um, all of our guests, Kai, about a, a club or um, teams that you might enjoy supporting. And uh, This you doesn't know. bring up good feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I see, Man United is not very good. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so go go on. Uh, how did you get into uh, Man United? So I was a Man, or I am a Manchester United fan. I'm just a little quiet about it now. Um, but you know, they were the only thing on TV when I was growing up. So yeah. I supported them, and like I always tell people, you know, I was born in Los Angeles. They're like, what's your teams? I'm like. You know, I was born in 1980, you know, I was 14 in 94. So my teams are the Braves, the Bills, <laughs> and, and Manchester United. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, they were all winning championships, so they're on TV every day. And I'm a Clipper fan just by, you know, I had season tickets because they were close. But Manchester United was always on. I studied, you know, uh, Eric the King and watched all his videos. And I got the chance to go, I think it was 2009 or 10, right before Franz Hoke and Louis Van Hall uh, took over in Manchester United. And I've known Franz for a couple of years. So 
he got us we were in Europe and he got us tickets to Manchester United uh Bayern Munich or no they were about to take over Bayern Munich and we got tickets to Manchester United Bayern Munich uh Champions League second second leg semi-final and we got tickets and we go and like uh Manchester United scores early second leg on my and I jump up and yeah, you know, and I look look to the side and I got all these guys in suits. Well, we got the tickets from France because they were about to be at Bayern Munich, so we were in the Bayern Munich business <laughs> section. And I was like, I don't care, <laughs> and I just kept going. Yeah, you know. But before that game, I got in. We got into the supporters lounge. Me, Andrew Zemer, Vinny, a couple of these guys, and oh, I'll never forget it. You know, you're sitting in your room when you're younger and you're singing all these songs like, oh, Eric, the king, the king, the king. And I was sitting in this supporter's lounge and they started breaking into the song and I almost cried. I had a beer up and I was like, the king, the king, the king. Oh, dude, I'll never forget it. And we went out, I took a picture in front of the Holy Trinity of, you know, the, the boys and went to a game. It was one of the greatest environments ever, you know, and. And then, you know, we've had a disaster ever since. And um, But, you know, if everyone could have a disaster and still only be five points out of the Champions League right now, you know, they would like their team also. Um, you know, we've traded away everyone. We don't know who's coaching. Uh, we have no style. Our ownership sucks. Uh, it's a disaster. And yet we're still in the hunt for trophies. Mm-hmm. which is great. And Neil McGuire is a big Liverpool fan and Austin at, at Cal is a big Tottenham fan. So, you know, we just pop off on each other all the time. And then, so this morning was hilarious because, you know, Neil started to pop off a little more. Um, I'm like, Hey, you know, you guys would be the group to blow it. And I sent him, <laughs> you know, the, the song 20 times, which is the Manchester United song. Cause they won it 20 times. And he said, stop looking in the past. And then I was like, <laughs> well, stop looking in the future for your one title. And then we laughed because Austin were like, well, what's Austin do? He only looks at the present because they won today. <laughs> there's no future and there's no past. So, I mean, it, it lends to great banter. Randy Waldron at Pitt's a big menu fan. So yeah. we usually get on Twitter at the same time when games and we just complain about our starting lineup and our right back and, our, and the fact we paid $100 zillion for a center back that looked like Phil Jones and plays like Phil Jones. And so, but, you know, it's one of those, it's like – the Yankees, everyone's got an opinion about them. If, if you put yourself out there enough, people will pop off on you. You know, when we win, people get quiet. When we lose, somehow I get all these mentions. But, you know, it's, it's fun being a Manchester United fan because, you know, we do have a trophy case that not everyone else does. Very true. Kai, if uh, people want to follow you and um, what's going on uh, with Southern Utah and, and the women's program, how can they connect with you? Yeah, uh, let me look real quick. Uh, on Twitter, it's Kai Edwards13, uh, K-A-I Edwards13. I think on Instagram, it's probably the same. And then at S-U-U Soccer, um, Southern Utah University Soccer. Um, usually interact with people. I've had some great conversations. Uh, this guy in England, now I'm his mentor. And when we talk all the time and uh, I've helped him with filling gaps on, cause he wants to come to America and we go back and forth on Twitter. He had me look over his resume and it all came uh, from interactions like that. And like me and Randy Waldrop have become closer friends uh, through interactions on social media. So um, I think it's one of those things, social media uh, can be a disaster if done incorrectly and uh, if done positively, I mean, 
it opens doors for people. It, it, it opens environments. It makes people think in different ways and challenges you in, in ways, you know, that you used to need the Dewey Decimal System and go to the library to figure out. And, and now, you know, five minutes before you go to bed, you can look up eight, eight videos and eight other interactions without commenting and learn so much. And you're like, never mind, I'm going to change my drill for tomorrow's warm up because I just saw something really cool on there. So I love it. So if anyone ever wants to reach out, feel free. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Kai, absolutely love the conversation. Love your passion. Um, uh, you can just, you're, you're doing what you're called to do uh, in life. And I, I love that. And I love seeing, um, you know, fellow coaches just chasing the dream, man. And um, I wish you nothing but success. Uh, Aaron, thank you for, um, you know, reaching out to Kai and connecting all of us and, that, that was a lot of fun um, that, you know, it, it's funny. Some of these interviews, sometimes um, they, they've all been interesting to me as, as one of the hosts and you find out so much about people and, you know, uh, you look at the clock and you're like, Holy smokes, an hour went by. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was quick. Uh, that was good, man. I really enjoyed it. I, I got one last advice. Um, Cause you know, a lot of people when I got the Southern Utah job and I totally know what they meant. We're like, hey, uh, you know, congrats back in the game. You know, and I totally knew knew what they meant and appreciate it. But I think part of coaching is work and mindset. And I responded to every person who sent me this. And it was kind of a jerk the way I said it, but I, I wanted to be very clear. I never left the game. <laughs> I, I was volunteering. I was coaching club. I was running trainings. I never left. And I get that I wasn't a head coach for the last five years, and I totally knew what they meant of, you know, way to get back in the seat. But I corrected every single person, and uh, and more for my own mindset. I never left. <laughs> I've always been in this. And when you have the mindset of it's work and grind, but it's fun and learn and educate, and someone calls you on a podcast, and you're like, cool honey, can you burp the kid? I gotta, I, I gotta do a podcast. He's like, what's it about? I'm like, I have no idea. And she's like, tell him to send it to me afterwards. No problem. So I, I think it's one of those, like, it's the mindset of like, if you want to coach, coach, there's no such thing as being knocked to the mat. I just got a knee down. There's no 10 count. I've never left the ring. So I think a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, I have to leave. There's a lot of people who've lost their college jobs and never coached college or club ever again. Like mm -hmm. I never left. So mindset and work rate. I absolutely love that. And I love that. Um, I have this, I had this conversation with my wife that we're in the type of profession where, you know, we need repetitions to do what we do, right? We can't, you know, we can read about coaching. We can, um, you know, talk to coaches, whatever, but it, it doesn't matter the level if you're coaching, right? And like you said, you never left. Um, and that you're finding a way to constantly get better, try new things, um, throw it against the wall, see if it sticks, you know, that sort of thing. In different environments, different age groups. Um, I, I absolutely love that because, you know, for me, people have asked me, um, you know, how has working in the youth game, you know, with U10 players, U8 players, U12 players, how does that translate to working now with college players, you know, with a men's college team? Well, you know, it, a lot of it does. And a lot of it is deconstructing what they see at 11 v 11 and just putting it in a smaller environment. And those things have prepared me incredibly well. So, you know, when I tell them, here's what we're doing today, guys, 
they go, oh, okay, like this kind of makes sense now, you know? Um, so I, 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 I don't think there's anything, uh, you know, as bad experience, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I bet you would be so fun to work with and to play for um, because, you know, I, I, you can tell, I mean, you know, Aaron and I have been around enough people, you've been around enough people, I'm sure that, you know, when it's not genuine and when people are sort of faking it and kind of going through the motions or they've kind of lost their mojo or whatever, dude, you're as authentic as they get in terms of that fire and that passion. It's like, I, like, I want to go do a training session now and it's, it's <laughs> 10 o'clock at night here. <laughs> awesome. Love it. I appreciate it. Aaron, that was a absolute blast to have Kai Edwards on the show. Um, I know we had mentioned in the intro about just the infectious and just passionate person that Kai is. And uh, you can just see his love of football um, and hear his love of football. It really comes through. And for anyone that has never met Kai in person that uh, I had told you uh, right after we were done recording I bet he's an incredibly fun coach to play for and to work with. Um, I feel like, you know, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I feel like Kai's energy sort of brings the room up in a very positive way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is a, he, he does have a big smile and, and a, just a big personality. And it, it is definitely, um, I'm sure a pleasure to to play for him and, and to work with him and, it is. It was such a joy to to have him and have him share his passion and his love because you can you can definitely see it obviously with your eyes, but you can also see it with your ears, and you can really hear just how much he loves the game, how much he loves the the players that he works with, and and obviously uh, the the job as a as a coach and a mentor and as an educator and uh, so so many nuggets that man I that I took away from that and hopefully other people will take away from that um uh, but two of the things that just kind of really resonated with me was was and, and he mentions it at the end you know just that mindset and that that work rate and I think those are things that that we all can do we all control those things in our life and and also filling gaps. He talks about filling gaps and in, in finding places that maybe he needs a little more experience or, or that he wants to gain more experience just out of the love and passion and curiosity of, of the game. And, and then most importantly, and I think we've all learned this is adapting as a coach. How am I going to adapt to the players in a micro sense, in a, in a very acute sense, and, and also in a very macro chronic sense where team now but as and then as a chronic sense as me over time and i think those those things are are awesome and he shared some he shared some great uh great moments the the quote that he mentioned of don't chase money uh chase leadership is something that i'm probably going to use with my own teams mm-hmm. and just a really powerful very poignant uh quote in that um I, you know, for full disclosure. And so I, I, you know, was in another career, um, for a long time. And I, I've told you this probably off air. Uh, my wife knows this. 
I, I did chase money. Um, I chased sort of the status and titles and all these different things. And I realized that, you know, all those things in the end weren't that important. And all those things in the end really just took me away from what my joy and what my passion was and, and, and coaching and to, you know, do a 180 degree turn um, in my early to mid thirties and now in my late thirties to getting into coaching on a full-time basis, you know, most people would say, you know, Jason, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? But it, it has to come down to that chasing the leadership. And, you know, I shared something today on, on social media of, you know, chase happiness, chase that ability to influence lives and change people's lives for the better, uh, chase that impact because at the end of the day, I think for all of us as coaches, Aaron, that is our legacy. Mm-hmm. How many lives have we impacted? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always say it and I, I said it to my son at the grocery store last night when we were checking out and we were and the, and the, the, the lady checking us out was kind of not really smiling. And by the end of our 30 second interaction, we were, had her smiling because I said, you know what, we go through life and, and if we can look back and say, how do we make other people feel? and they feel good about themselves or good about that interaction, then, you know, we're doing a little part to help make the world a better place. And so absolutely agree hundred percent. I told my guys on Friday of last week that, um, you know, and I say this a lot that, uh, you know, guys, we're playing the best game in the world and don't ever lose sight of that. Um, and they all looked at me and I have players currently on my team from all over the world in all very different circumstances of how they are brought up and how formal and informal their soccer, you know, quote unquote, education and playing experiences were. But I watched their reaction to when, after I said that, and they all smiled. And I, you know, for me, I think, and especially, uh, you know, I have one player from Nigeria. I, I think it took him back to his early childhood days, you know, where it was just about joy. It was about fun. It was about a ball at his feet. And he was um, really the best version of himself. And so again, this is, you know, people hear this a lot from me. This is the, the football romantic in me talking. It comes out quite a bit, but when this game has infected you in a positive way, you can't get it out of you, right? You can't take a, an antibiotic and hope it goes away or whatever. And God, I, I don't know why you would want to do that anyway. Um, but, you know, why why people fall in love with this game, you know? And it's happened to both of us at different times in our lives. And um, it's just that you can't get enough of it. And I think to, to tie this back to t- uh, Kai, that you just, you see that with him and the hurdles and the challenges and the you know, I love what he said there at the end of, you know, I was never out of the game. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is the right mindset to have, uh, you know, if you're trying to forge ahead Um, and you've had success and you've been places and you've had great jobs, but even when you get knocked down to keep going. So Mm -hmm. some really great takeaways in this, uh, this episode. Absolutely. So Aaron, uh, as we close up shop, um, how can people connect with you on social media? At Ohio Soccer Coach. And he is active on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, You can find me at Soccer Coach JB, uh, also on Twitter and Instagram. 
Guys, thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. I'm Jason Broadwater. And I'm Aaron Rodgers. That's it. You get to you get to book all the guests. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, listen, it'll run out eventually. <laughs> Dude, you're you're give this man like the uh the golden boot, you know? I mean, you're you're just banging him in here.